Hey, thanks for tuning into the Beer Muddy Things podcast, your place for education and happenings in the craft food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner, and here I interview folks around the world that are truly daring muddy things in the industry. My goal is to entertain, educate, and inspire. And if I'm doing those things, please, please give a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts, uh, leave a comment. This goes a long way in helping others find the show. And, you know, hey, I appreciate it. So with that, let's get into it. Welcome in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. It's what's in your ears as you brew and drink beers. And this is new. It's how you hear it while making spirits. So I got, I got corny dad jokes is how I bring it in. Today we're talking with financial, we're talking financial literacy with a new friend of mine, CFO, CPA, and just the all around numbers guy, all around great guy uh, over at Wormtown Brewery in Massachusetts, Carrie Shumway. Carrie, how are you? Kyle, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I get that right. CFO, CPA, numbers guy. That's me. And you can all, there's also an asterisk there. You can say, and I love spreadsheets. <laughs> you know, I am a big Excel spreadsheet like fan. Um, I probably have way too many. I'm a fan of the pivot table. That's going down in the, going down a wormhole there. But uh, dude, Excel's the, Excel's the best. Uh, you also run craftbrewerifinancialtraining.com, correct? That is correct. Yes, that's my website where people can get either a free, there's a free newsletter. So in your inbox each week, you'll get some financial tips for your brewery, dig into some operational stuff, compensation planning, self-distribution, kind of all things craft brewery finance related. Okay, cool. And um, we'll talk a little bit about, I I popped in there and I got your key metrics um, Mm -hmm. download too. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, so, you know, you've been a CPA, CFO for a number of companies, you know, in the, in the beverage industry, in the distribution world. Um, so tell me about that. Like, how, how'd you end up there? And then how'd you end up with Wormtown? Yeah, I started out uh, working as a CPA in public practice. So we'd work for a number of different companies. One of our larger clients was a beer wholesaler in town. Um, this is going back 20 plus years. And uh, they had an opening for a CFO. And I said, I'm your guy. And I... Uh, yes. Went on that journey for about 15 years. So working as CFO for a beer distributor for that time period, you know, really learning the beer business, learning the finances. And, you know, kind of what I noticed is that most folks were very focused on sales growth and maybe profitability and, and really not much in between, certainly not cash flow or any of these other things. So I kind of made it my personal mission to learn these things and then try to teach them. So we started a financial literacy program within our company. I uh, spearheaded our open book management program, uh, did a lot of financial training and just found it to be very, very rewarding. Uh, so at, at uh, around four years ago, we sold off the businesses. So the beer wholesalerships were sold. And then I transitioned over uh, with my partners to Wormtown Brewery in Worcester, Massachusetts, where I'm a partner and CFO uh, there and have been for the last three or four years. So really learning that side of the business from the supplier, the brewery standpoint, you know, from a beer wholesaler perspective, you're interacting in a certain way. Um, and then you, you kind of flip that relationship. So I think one really informs the other. And a number of uh, my partners at Wormtown are uh, former beer wholesaler owners as well. Um, so really understanding, I think, how to make the market, how that beer wholesaler relationship can be really critical to the success of your brewery brands. 
so I've certainly learned a lot. You know, I've I've got the basic uh, financial background, the the beer business background, and then just trying to bring them together so that I can kind of see the full picture and then share that information as I'm learning it with with other beer wholesaler owners and managers. Yeah, I think it's important that you've seen it from kind of both angles, right? From from selling the beer to making the beer and then selling it and then distributing it and having it in a tasting room and you know the inflows and the outflows and um, you know managing payroll and that sort of thing. So, okay. And what's the size of Wormtown? You know, how many barrels will they brew uh, this year? Yeah, pre-pandemic we were well north of thirty thousand barrels. Uh, post-pandemic, you know, we we are very heavy on-premise, you know, a lot of draft. And obviously with bars and restaurants taking the hit that they did, that significantly impacted our volume. But we're going to probably be in the upper 20,000 barrels uh, this year. And that's that's just contingent upon what happens. You know, selling season's really starting now. Right. Uh, so kind of depending on what uh, what happens over the, the balance of the summer and into the early fall. Okay. And what's the size of the brew house there at uh, Wormtown? Uh, we have a 30-barrel system. Okay. Yeah. Fermenters, 60s, 90s? The whole gamut. And if you start okay. asking me details, I'm going to tell you, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I call the brewer. I can tell you. Yeah, exactly. But no, it's, it's you know, the tank space, we can do, you know, we've done the calculations a number of times. And of course, it depends on what you're brewing and this and that. Uh, but we think we're, we're probably good to the mid to upper 40,000 barrels of capacity. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. So I wanted to kind of get my, my head wrapped around, you know, your business model there um, and, and then start talking about this financial literacy. So, you know, personally, I was an accounting major in college and, you know, I just, I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. I did it for three years and, you know, then I decided that, you know, it wasn't for me. So, and that's all fine and dandy. A lot of my college roommates and best friends are CPAs. So the funny thing is, is like going through this, right? You learn how to balance a, a you know, uh, balance the sheet as a, you know, and, and do the P and L's and things like that. But, and I'm going to talk on a personal level, we don't really learn as people how to manage our money, right? When we get a paycheck, you don't know what you don't know, right? You kind of get a paycheck when you're young. You're like, my, my mom always said, save your money. Okay. Well, what the hell does that mean? Right. So, you know, now, you know, however many years later, it's like, I finally just paid off my student loans, paid off a car because I've learned what to do now. Right. And so from a personal standpoint, you know, uh, and I'll throw out a couple of key books from just, you know, a personal finance, but the richest man in Babylon total money makeover is pretty damn good by Dave Ramsey. You know, I know he's got some, some lovers and haters. And then the other guy with him is everyday millionaire is Chris Hogan. And what I see, and you can maybe let me know if this you know, coincides with, with running a business, but with personal finance, right? One, you need to have a budget. Two, you know, you have a paycheck, right? So bi-weekly or monthly, right? Pay yourself first, right? AKA save your money, pay yourself 10%, invest 15% and give away five or 10% to charity or whatever. Those that typically struggle with finances do this backwards, right? They get their money, they spend it, they pay their bills, and then they save what's left, which is typically nothing. Therefore, they also don't have anything to invest either. So talking business, I know that when we're running a brewery, it's not necessarily like a biweekly inflow of money or a monthly check. Like it could be every day if you're open seven days a week. So how do we manage the inflows and outflows of a business? And is it similar? Could you adopt a similar kind of plan as, uh, you know, as you would on a personal finance level? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's begin with the end in mind, right? What kind of cash flow, what kind of profitability? And, and very often, 
uh, even those who do budgets, whether they're personal budgets or their business budgets, uh, they don't do it that way. They start with the sales plan. Well, what are, what are we going to sell? How much are we going to grow? What are we going to do to our portfolio? How much can we uh, expand our market, et cetera? And that's fine. I mean, you, you can certainly start there. But if you start with the end in mind, it really sort of sets the target. You know, where, where are we going towards? Uh, so I definitely would advocate for that. Your point about it, being an accounting major and, and shifting out is interesting to me. I actually started as an accounting major and I saw all the folks say, well, this is not for me and they're out of here. And even at a fairly young age, I thought, well, that's interesting. If, if all these people don't want to do it, it's probably worth exploring because then they'll pay me to do it. And, you know, ultimately <laughs> that, that is how it went down. But what I found is, uh, you know, we, we have this tendency to specialize, right? We'll specialize as an attorney or an accountant or this or that. And then this sort of protectionism sets in. We have all these different terms and barriers to entry. Um, and really, oh, it sounds so complicated. You know, it's far more complicated than anyone could. And it's, and, you know, that that's really just been very off-putting to me because I see what happens where business owners are like, oh, I, I, I got to hire an accountant because I don't know the accounting. And my... Uh, my whole mission has really been to say, look, let's let's simplify this process. You understand your business. Let's show you, let's draw a bright line between what you know about your business and how it's kind of translating in, in terms of the numbers. Let's so let's make that correlation. You, you know you're making beer, you know you're putting ingredients into it, you know you're packaging it. You're just not exactly sure how to assign all those costs. You know yeah. you're pricing your beer. You're, not, you're just not maybe not exactly sure what your margins are whether it's a, you know, a keg or a packaged beer, a can or bottle, whether you're self-distributing, you're just not really sure. So there's all these pieces. So I like to try to bring it back to, you know, what, what we might call like functional accounting or practical mm -hmm. accounting. So I don't want anybody to learn debits and credits. That's absolutely not what I'm about. Cause I think that's, it's, again, it's very off-putting and um, just kind of a way to keep, keep people at arm's length. We would just want to start about with a conversation. And I recommend this with anybody that's starting a budget is just have a conversation about your business. You know, what do you want to create? What outcomes do you want to see, whether they're financial, operational, or, or otherwise? And then you get that on paper, uh, and then you can start to kind of quantify it. And then we break it down into steps, so it's a very manageable process. And you mentioned the margins there. So, you know, this has been obviously an interesting year. And, you know, when we put together a business plan and we say, all right, we're going to sell this much out of the tasting room, this much is going to go to distribution, this much will go to restaurants and to go, you know, and then pandemic hits and it's like, all right, your tasting room margins are gone. So now, you know, there are some things that you might have to shift as far as, you know, maybe what you're purchasing or who you're purchasing, you know, raw materials from, um, oh, all of a sudden we can't get cans, right? So, what, you know, what are some of the things that you see kind of breweries are, are being frivolous on as far as spending that, you know, would be probably the first thing you'd say they should cut out when the time comes that they need to, you know, kind of have that, 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 uh, that shift mm -hmm. or that, you know. Yeah, I think the first step is probably just to have a reasonable way to determine how you're doing. And then you can make some adjustments in terms of, of cutting back if, if that's the appropriate course of action. Uh, so what I typically recommend is to have, um, and we've been talking a lot about sort of accelerated financial planning, sort of simplifying the financial planning process, compressing the time to get it done, using straightforward tools 
so that you can get done in hours or days what would take you weeks or months under traditional budget. So that's where I would start is, you know, we do need to see uh, sales margins, operating expenses, some sort of modified cash flow. And that may sound like a lot, but we can walk through it um, and get that basically done in a matter of a couple of hours. And then we have a tool that we can use to say, where, you know, what are things looking like? You know, and, yeah. and the short answer is we don't really know. Even pre-pandemic, you don't, it's, it's very hard to do a financial forecast. So the recommendation is to create a tool that can be flexible. So you can update it on a regular basis. And this does yeah. a couple of things. It gives you certain, sort of immediate feedback. And it also builds that muscle of, you know, working on your finances so that it's not hard. It's not scary. A lot of folks just, they just don't want to do it because it looks too hard. It's too time consuming and I'm going to get it done and it's going to be wrong anyway. What's the point? So the per, where I start with folks is let's do an accelerated financial planning process. Let's get you some tools that you feel comfortable with that are understandable to you as a business owner. And then from there, you can do the diagnostic side and say, well, you know what, based on what I'm looking at here, I'm going to have some real problems over the next three months. I'm going to run out of cash. So then you start ticking away at it and say, well, what can we do? Well, we don't want to run out of cash. So where are the areas that we can, you know, can we expand our portfolio? Is that an option? Can we, you know, can we drive sales? Where can we improve margins? Certainly let's look at the operating expenses. What are the variable costs in here that I can trim back? An alternative might be, can I work with my suppliers, my vendors to um, push out some of these, these, they give me 30 credit, 30 days credit terms, can I get 60 or 90? Another is to work with a bank or an outside investor, say, look, we're going to ride through some rough patches here. You know, what can we do as far as maybe a working capital line of credit or additional uh, equity infusion, something like that. So I think there's, once you start having the conversation then the wheels start turning because it feels rather scary and hopeless. Like I, I just need to cut costs. And that may, that may end up being uh, the decision or the action that's taken. Uh, but I think the process allows you to kind of take a breath, take a, take a uh, uh, 30,000 foot view of the situation. Then you can drill down and see what your options are. Yeah. So we're talking a little bit there as far as, you know, kind of when things are a little tight, what about when business is booming, you know, are you putting more money away or, you know, at what point do you see uh, the owners paying themselves? You know, what are your thoughts on that? You know, some, some of the breweries out there are just crushing it. It's like they have more money than they know what to do with. Do they expand? Do they save it for a rainy day? Do they buy more equipment? Like what, what are your thoughts there? I think my first thought is just a, a caution that business and, you know, there's, there's a disconnect between profit and cash flow. So yep. very often, uh, and I'm sure, you know, you've come across this with your clients is, you know, when sales growth is tremendous, what can very often happen is that cash flow is just not there. And a lot of businesses will go bankrupt and go because they run out of cash. Oh my, I'm growing sales. What's going on? Well, your cash cycle is such that you're consuming so much cash to feed those, you know, but you're, you're buying more inventory. You're sitting on more inventory. Uh, maybe you've got accounts receivable with your retail through self-distribution or through wholesalers. And all of a sudden, what is fantastic in terms of sales growth turns out to be a real problem from a cash flow perspective. So I think step one is, again, to have a financial plan so you can understand the relationship between profitability and cash flow. Mm -hmm. And then the next, it's really going to come down to, you know, I think what is, you know, and it's kind of a personal decision, like, okay, 
let's assume profits are good, cash flow is really strong, and we really do have a position here where we've got options. What do we do with this cash? I think a lot of it is going to be determined upon what is your personal tolerance for, say, debt? Uh, what is your relative aggressiveness or conservativeness relative to the future? So again, I think it's a discussion about what you want um, as a business owner, as a brewery owner, and then kind of, again, determining how you could deploy that cash. I mean, for me personally, I tend to be conservative. I don't really like debt. I, I think it has its place. Um, but, you know, let, let's face it, if you don't have that debt obligation each month and things start to turn down, you know, you've got more options. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely advocate for you know, just being strategic about it. What does success look like? Where do you want to be? What are you comfortable with? I ask a few clarifying questions. What keeps you up at night? You know, if you just cannot stand debt, uh, then that sounds like that's a good place to, to explore in terms of paying down. However, if you're more aggressive, you know, sometimes, you know, it's better to uh, invest a little early, right? You know, if yeah. you're going, you're investing in increased packaging capabilities, or maybe opening up that new tap room that you've been thinking about. Um, certainly that's, but I think I think a lot of it has to do with what success looks like for you and, and what your comfort level is with with how to how to deploy that cash. And, and Carrie, when you say there, you know, hey, where do you want to be? What does success look like to you? Are we saying, you know, two-year, five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan? You know, what, what trajectory are we looking at? Well, I think, you know, what I see with a lot of business owners is that you know, they, they're, they love the brewery business, they love what they're doing, and they want to grow. And then as soon as they grow, now they've got 20, 30, 40 people, the headaches are every other day. And they're like, well, this is not a definition of success for me. This is a definition of a nightmare. So I, right. so I think it's probably about, you know, just be clear about what, what you want, you know, what, what you enjoy doing, S certainly the financial uh, consequences, you know, you have to be, you have to be considering those. Um, but there's, you know, there's some schools of thought where, and there's a book on this called, I think it's called Little Giants, where they're like, yep. they're, they're small, efficient, very profitable companies. They're not, they're not intending to grow. That was never their business model. And for them, that's success. You know, I'm, I'm self-contained. Yeah. I've got the, the eight people I love to work with, profits and I can pay my people really well. And so that might be a definition of success. And the alternative is, you know, I, I want to be a national brand or I want to be a really strong regional brand. Okay, well, that's going to come with, you know, some growth of, of people and probably borrowing money and, and extending yourself if that's what you want. So I think it's more of a what feels right to you from a from a business, from a strategic standpoint. Um, and that's probably a longer term thing. It'd be hard to say, is yeah. it one or one years, three years? It's it's probably the foreseeable future. You know, what are you building uh, for infinity and beyond. Yeah. Good little Buzz Lightyear quote. I'm a big Toy Story fan. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so, but that was the first time, you know, it was probably like 2015, 2016. I had met up with, uh, you know, a college alum that my professor had recommended me. Hey, you need to go. This guy runs a successful business. You, you should go talk to this guy. And this was the first time I ever was like, you know, I've always heard, hey, you should have a mentor, right? Um, and, and I feel like, too often we try to find a mentor, right? We try to find so hard that it's like makes it frustrating and, and pointless. So this is the first time I went and had a conversation with this guy and he goes, where do you want to be? And what do you want your life to look like when you're 65? And that completely like changed my life. I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, I want to do this and I want to have this. And 
then you can, you know, how old am I? Okay. 65 minus that age. Let's back into that. You know, how long will it take to get here? And there's, there's steps in between. Um, you know, there's no, and just like, right. Overnight success type thing, right. It's like, nobody really sees all the hard things you're doing behind the scenes. Um, and all of a sudden they're like, wow, they've done really great for themselves. You know, all of a sudden you're like, no, you didn't see the grind, you know, over the last 30 years. So, you know, having that again, where do you want to be when you're 65 or where do you want to be when your brewery is 30? What does that mean to you? Um, that, that's it's definitely different for everybody. Yeah. And I like someone used the word, this has now become part of my vocabulary is, is this word called optionality. Mm. You know, it's always nice to have options, right? Like be nimble. So you did be nimble and, you know, by and large, you know, the folks in the brewery business are very nimble. Anyhow, they adapt well. Yeah. Um, but very often, you know, as a general rule, the way I think about, you know, where do you want to be? You might want to consider how can you create the most options for yourself? And, you know, one way is to say, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. I might want to just run this forever and hand it down to my kids. Okay. Or, you know, I might want to, by the time I'm 65, I want to be able to sell my brewery. Okay. So there's certain steps that you can take now to help achieve that goal. So when you kind of work backwards from it, right, you reverse engineer it and you say, well, okay, yeah, yeah at this, at this point, I, I, I would, I would like to be in a position where I can sell this. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain number of things you, you should focus on now. Um, or if you're like, I, I really have no intention of selling it, then you're strategically maybe going to make some slightly different decisions. You might invest maybe more in you know, the business now, more in the equipment that's going to benefit you know, the overall business over the next extended period of time. Such as like a, a centrifuge where you're getting more yield, right? Or you know, investing in that canning line instead of outsourcing that. Yeah, yeah exactly. And going sometimes going bigger, sometimes not, but you know, really all of those infrastructure things that are going to allow you to achieve uh, whatever growth looks like success to you. Okay. Do you find that when calculating the, say the cost of a beer, a lot of folks do not include the cost of labor? I find that most folks really don't have a good handle on the cost of beer, period. Um, and the answer is yes. Most don't include the cost of labor. Overhead is a mystery. Um, so, you know, I tend, to, I tend to look at this in a couple of ways. One is to just conceptually kind of understand, you know, what's involved in costing your beer. So we talk about bill of materials. Uh, we talk about direct material, direct labor and overhead. Those are the components of it. Direct material is the easiest to get your hands around. It's your raw materials. Um, that go, you know, it's your packaging materials the hops, the grains, everything that goes into that's easy to touch and feel and buy. We're buying that stuff all the time. We can see it out here. It's easy to get our heads around. So generally we'll start with a discussion around, and once we cover those bases, these are all the components we start with. Let's make it, let's do a simplified bill of materials and let's do a material margins analysis. So what are you pricing your beer at? What are the direct materials only? And what does that margin look like? Because then you have sort of an apples to apples comparison from from beer to beer to beer. And you could certainly say, well, certain beers take longer, so I need to allocate more. Yeah, you can. Um, But it starts getting challenging because you do need to do some analysis. Um, It does change. Um, And direct labor and overhead are, you know, they can be a little tough to get your hands around. So I kind of I kind of three step it. One is 
conceptually understand your bill of materials and what's included to do a material margin. So you at least have that you can build on that. Yeah. And then three is work your way towards a fully loaded margin. Cause really what you're trying to do is say, here's what this individual package costs and what my margin is. And then I want to aggregate all that. And then I compare it to my financial statements and I want the margins on the financial statements. I want to be able to support that and say, well, ooh, it's, my margins are lower. What what might have happened? Then I can go through the detailed product margin analysis and say, oh, geez, it's this brand or it's that package. Uh, but absent that type of sort of fundamental setup, it's hard to really diagnose what's going on. Sure. Okay. And, you know, when we're talking about the materials and creating this um, analysis, right, and we're probably looking at kind of the cycle of a beer, right? When the When the materials come in to where that beer goes out to when you get paid, I mean, there's so many moving parts. Yep. What, what do we look at? How do we manage that? Well, I mean, it's your cash cycle. So you really want to look at all aspects of it. I tend to focus on, um, you know, first would be how are you going to market? So where folks run into real surprises is if they're self-distributing and they're selling to dozens or hundreds of retail accounts and they're understanding that uh, this concept of actually have to collect on the sale. So you deliver it, maybe you have 30-day terms, accounts receivable becomes a real thing and a real kick in the teeth on your cash flow. So really just understanding it up front, setting the credit terms, understanding who your customer is, and then having some sort of process to be able to monitor and, you know, get those collections. Cause we say, you know, slow paying accounts that hurts your cash flow. No paying accounts is going to hurt both your cash flow and your income statement. So that would be one starting point is just understanding how you're going to market, how that's going to affect accounts receivable. Inventory obviously is a huge thing. So we like to layer these metrics around these, what we'll call cash flow drivers. So accounts receivable as a cash flow driver, how do we manage that? You know, we'll look at something called days sales and accounts receivable. It's basically how quickly are we collecting on that sale? And then we'll set goals and we'll measure against that. On the inventory, you know, very often a very common question is, you know, I, how do I know if I have the right amount of inventory? So we would do a days on hand calculation where we'd say, well, what's your projected sales? You know, what do you think you're going to sell over the course of the next 30, 60 days? And let's compare that to what we have on hand for inventory. And that will essentially quantify for us, answer the question, do I have the right amount? Because if people are like, I don't want to have too much, hurts cash flow. I don't want to have too little. I'm going to run out and not be able to satisfy market demand. Uh, so that's how I would start with those is, is assigning some key metrics to those cash flow drivers. Makes a lot of sense. How about like keg inventory, right? And you know, kegs being out, kegs coming in, uh, managing that. Yeah, that can those can really uh, those can really be a challenge. I think it really depends on whether do you own your kegs, you're leasing your kegs, what kind of arrangement do you have? You know, from a, if you own if you own your kegs, I mean, the biggest tip, biggest takeaway is the most obvious is you need a system to track and measure and monitor where are they. You know, we use we say kegs have legs. You know, off they go, and they they may or may not you may or may not ever see them again. Say so they could literally have legs and be the table of you know someone's house, right? <laughs> yeah, we would say you know, or a lamp in a college dorm room. I mean, they just they never come back. And you know, the, the dirty secret with kegs is that you know you, some few some folks say, well, there's a keg deposit, so there's an incentive for them to give it back. It's like, well, if you have a thirty dollar keg deposit on a hundred dollar asset, that's not much of an incentive. Um, no. So really what I've seen is, you know, the brewery 
owner is the one that's most at risk relative to kegs that they own. So having a good system to track where are they, how long have they been there, what are my turns on this, uh, who has them. Uh, there's lots of great reporting tools out there uh, that you can use to kind of automate that process. But step one is really having a system to manage it. Step two is looking at your balance sheet and saying, you know, because when we buy kegs, you know, there's a value on your balance sheet. That's an mm -hmm. asset. And, you know, typically if you're going to do an inventory, you know, we inventory our hops and our grains and our cans and we just do that. You know, are we inventorying our kegs? Most places, I think the answer is no, because they don't really know where they are. Right. So you you'd start by saying, what does my balance sheet say I have in terms of dollars and then quantity of kegs? And then how do I go out and make that part of my inventory count routine? Make sure we still got them. And very often what you'll find is no idea where they are. And that becomes a write-off and expensive and you and that's a you'll you're, you'll hear the uh, the weeping income statement at that point. And then you have to go buy more, you know, or lease more. And yes, it's very painful. Yeah, it's a headache. Absolutely. Okay. Um, let's talk software since you kind of mentioned that with the keg inventory. I mean, what do you recommend? What have you seen work? What you know? We'll touch on real quick, like POS software. I've seen a number of companies go from a Clover to a Toast to a Square, Touch Bistro, Shopify, back again. I mean, you know, is there something that you can manage the front of house and back of house with, or, or what, what have you seen? Um, you know, I think so. So this is, I'll, I would back up just a little bit and say, what it is that you're trying to get out of the software it was one. And then two, uh, there's sort of this, I don't know, it, there's a tendency you get the software and you expect it's going to do everything for you when in yeah. fact you got to have good process or you, you're just not going to get what you need. So I would start with that as really kind of mapping out what are, what are we looking to get out of this and then what are the capabilities of it and then what are this, the process that we need to follow so we get good information into it and out of it. Consistent, right? It's only as good as the information you put in. Exactly. And, and timing too, you know, a lot of folks think, well, I, I put everything in right. Yeah, but you know, Timing is important to getting it in a timely fashion and so forth. Um, we use Toast. So I'll give you our quick software stack at Wormtech. You know, we use Toast for our point of sale. It's fine. It's really more of a restaurant, uh, but it does, it does work quite well. The analytics are good. The sales data, you can drill down. Uh, they were very uh, quick in terms of creating an e-commerce platform for us for curbside and, and so forth. Um, we use Ecos for our... Uh, brewery management software, I, I definitely recommend it. Um, and I know they partner with Ecos and Toast do not sync directly. So that's maybe something they'll work on in the future. Uh, Ecos partners with, uh, I believe, Square and Arrive. So there is some some mm -hmm. benefit there if you can, if you have those. Um, and then QuickBooks for the finance side. And, you know, initially I was not a fan of QuickBooks. I've, be I've become one because I can see them like, all right, it's, it's intuitive. I can get what I want out of it. You know, I don't have to fight the system. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some larger ERP software systems like Obeer that are out there that for some folks can be fine. For us, it just didn't make, it was very challenging. Um, so what we find is we can get what we need. Uh, when we switched to Ecos, it was, it was kind of remarkable. You know, you hold your breath and you do the, the due diligence and you do what you can. And then you expect just the world to collapse around you because nobody can. And it didn't happen. You know, everybody, you know, our, from our production team to our admin, everybody was actually, I'm not going to say happy, but uh, they were, they were, you know, they were no, there were no disasters. It, it went very smoothly. So that's, that's pretty much our stack is, you know, Toast, Ecos, QuickBooks, and then we'll supplement it with, you know, the usual myriad of, the spreadsheets that I love. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah, I've seen so many times like when when you do switch from say a touch bistro or square to a toast or something like the that first year of trying to pull reports from specific dates is a nightmare. So I don't know how to make that easier for people. Maybe a switch on, you know, the first of a month, but it's it can be a headache, you know, when I'm trying to, you know, work on a insurance policy and say, all right, well, what was your to go? You know, what what was your to go? What was your on premises, food and drink? And then what was your distributed? And they're like, I have to go through six different softwares and call this person. And it's just, it's a mess. So I don't know if there's any way to set that up to, to make your life easier. Or uh, not. It's challenging. I mean, I think, I think the short answer is, is there is, but you got to do some planning. Like for example, when, you know, when we switched to Ecos, it, you, it, at the time we couldn't transfer historical data. So we did have sort of this handoff between the old system and the new, and there was a gap in between and it was hard to, so you, some of that, you just have to like kind of let it run itself out. Others, you need just yeah. kind of a database that you can draw from. So you can do a data dump and do some simple, um, you know, formulas and queries and so forth to get basic information. But yeah, that's, that is a, that's a consideration when you make a change is like, all right, I'm going to have a little hiccup period here. You know, is it worth it for me to make the switch? And you have to just throw that into the decision-making equation. Okay. Uh, on your website, you have a number of articles, right? How to boost taproom profits, uh, building a budget, uh, financial best practices in uncertain times, uh, the common problems on the financial statements. Any of those that you really want to drill down into? Uh, let's see. I, you know, I would say let, let's take a second on the budget and, you know, really creating a financial plan. And I had, had mentioned there's, you know, like any big problem, it's, it's, it's very easy to not want to tackle it because it just seems too overwhelming. And I get that. You know, I even feel yep. that sometimes when I'm starting a plan, I'm like, man, this is going to take forever. Um, but again, I would go back to using accelerated planning tools and resources to do that. And I would chunk it down into, there's any number of steps that you want to apply, but I typically say there's six steps. So we're going to do our sales plan. We do our margin plan, operating expenses, capital expenditures, some key cash flow drivers. So we talked about receivables and inventory. And then we don't want to forget our loan uh, obligations or debt service coverage, right? It's very often if you've got debt, you've got some sort of debt service coverage calculation and it's yep. important to yep. watch those things. So again, I advocate for rather than jumping right into the spreadsheets, unless you're like me and you, Kyle, and you love them, then go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but very often people are like, I don't even know where to start. You know, we kind of start with a narrative, write it out. What do you, what looks like success? What do you got for coming changes to your portfolio? You know, are you going to expand your market? Are you adding a new wholesaler? You know, maybe you're getting into a new product line, just write it out. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, then you've got a little momentum and then you can come back and quantify those things. And you could say, all right, let's look at, uh, let's look at the sales plan. And I have tools for each of these to kind of walk you through it. So I'll have the tools. Here's the template and here's a video. If you don't like video, here's a podcast. If you don't like podcasts, here's some written instructions. So I'm trying to kind of meet folks where they are and what's the best way for them to kind of consume the information and ultimately take action on it. And then we okay. break it down into those pieces so that you can literally kind of step-by-step step go through it. Um, so I'll do this. I have a program that, you know, people can take. It's DIY, on demand, at your own pace. You get access to me via the, the questionnaire. So if you're in a, a module and you're working on your sales plan and you're like, I don't know, I don't understand how to fill out the sales template. You shoot me a message. I shoot your reply, get you unstuck and off you go. And then I'll also offer, you know, on a limited basis is I'll work one-on-one -on -one with people. They're like, look, maybe meet with me for an hour 
once a week, every four weeks, and we'll hit each of these. And, and I can, you know, you give me homework and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll work on it together. And I've found that to be very successful. A lot of times people, these very simple things, you know, we're always trying to discover the next new thing. And, and very yeah. often it comes back to just fundamental principles, set a deadline and work backwards from it. So I worked with a client recently and I, you know, they like didn't have a budget. They've never really had one. They didn't know how this, they've been in business for decades. Yeah. Said, well, why don't we do this? Let's just look. Let's let's look eight weeks out, and between now and then, we'll we'll put this thing together. What do you think? And I'll I'll work with you, and and we'll take it step by step. And lo and behold, five weeks in, they were done. They had a budget done. So a lot of it is set a deadline, understand the pieces, get a little help and accountability along the way, you know. And I can help kind of shine a light on the path. And they're like, I have no idea how to do my margins. I'm like, well, I, I got some some templates for you. Let's let's dig in. So I I really think it's, you know, it's almost cliche. You got to have a financial plan, but you got to have a financial plan. And I understand all the reasons why folks don't want to start because it's, it's, it seems long and hard and arduous and, uh, but there's definitely ways to fast track it. Yeah. When you say this, you know, that having that, you know, I call it a frog, right? You got to eat that frog, the thing that you don't want to do. It's ugly. It's, it's hideous. And, you know, but you have to do it at some point, but you keep putting it off and procrastinating that the goal is to always eat that frog, right? First thing in the morning get it done with. You don't have to think about it anymore. As you're talking there, I was thinking about, I love my pithy quotes, but from Abraham Lincoln, he's like, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first four sharpening my ax. So spend that first four sharpening your ax, creating that, that foundation. And then for the rest of time moving forward, it's going to be a lot quicker, right? It's not going to be so bad once you have that foundation and that template. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's just, uh, it's human nature. You know, we don't, we don't really see the benefit in it. We're not really sure, you know, if it's going to pay off if we sharpen that ax, but you know, the, if you, if you look at it, you know, 99 times out of hundred, it's going to pay off for you and that, that yeah. investment's well worth it. Um, you mentioned a, a client there being a business, you know, for a decade or so, and then finally coming to you, like, what they were doing, was it working and they became fed up or they were just kind of rolling with the punches or, you know, if they came to you 10 years ago, how much more profitable would they have been? Or, you know, would they be in a better place, you know, far more ahead of where they are now? Yeah. I think what tends to happen, and this is more on a macro level is, you know, we're seeing competition, you know, over the last several years, certainly in the craft beer industry, where you know, the competition is creating a little more urgency around, oh man, I need to kind of watch my cash flow. Yeah. You know, sales are slowing down, that cash in the bank is shrinking. Oh, there's a pandemic. So it's kind of like uh, becoming more of a urgency than it was before. It was like, I can kind of get to it. So it's become prioritized. Yeah. So I think for that particular client, it was probably a little bit of that where, you know, eh, we got enough money in the bank you know, the owners are happy. looks like we're profitable. Um, I think we're good. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden things start to shift and change and you need to make some changes, but you don't have any really good sense as to what's going on with your finances. And then yeah. you're like, man, I don't even know where to start. Wow. Um, so I, you know, I give them a lot of credit for, cause that's hard too. Cause you, then you got to stand up and say, man, we, uh, we actually don't have a plan. We don't have a great one. Yeah, it's and tough to say, hey, you know, you got to own it, right? Like, crap, I messed up. Or, all right, I finally, I got to admit, like, I'm not that good at this. So, you know, it's hard. That's hard to say, right? It's hard to do that. It's just human it nature, as you mentioned. We're cavemen. <laughs> that's cool. Can you give me like one or two tips on how to boost a taproom profits? Yeah, the first, the first tip I would say is to 
talk to Andrew Copeland from uh, Secret Hopper. Uh, yeah. If you're familiar, are you familiar with Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Craft that's typical. Professionals. He's, yeah, he's got, I'll, I'll give you one tip that will lead to a thousand tips. And, you know, I'll share a few that he gave to me um, and he's said them and he and I have talked about this in the past is, you know, I'm a big fan. I'm not a salesperson, right? I'm a finance guy, mm-hmm. um, but I don't mind being sold. Like if I come into your brewery and I have enjoyed your beer and I'm checking out, I don't mind if you say, hey, we've got a uh, beer to go. Do you want to grab a four pack? I see, you, you know, you enjoyed this, that, you know, it's, it's, it's the upsell. Just so, asking. Just ask. That's all. You know, we would, we would, uh, I could turn that around on the finance side. And when we're talking about say accounts receivable and collecting money, it's remarkable what can happen when you just ask. So if your salesperson goes in from your brewery to the retail account and they say, you know, I just, can I get a check today? I need the, you know, when you ask, you're more, that's what my dad, old man Shumway used to say, you don't ask, you don't get. So yeah. that's, I think that's tip number one to boost your tap from sales and profitability is simply ask um, and not in a salesy way. You're just simply, Hey, you're here. You know, we'd love to offer you this if, if it's uh, something of interest. You know, I would say the other is really defining. And like you, I like these books. I have one here, which is called The One Thing. Have you heard of, have you read the, uh, you got it on your shelf? There it is. Right next to me. Love it. So basically, you know, it's identify what's most important and and work on it. And it's kind of like the eat the frog thing. But one of the things that is very interesting to me, say relative to the tap room, is that we're maybe not measuring those things that are going to drive sales. In its simplest form, you want to measure basically how many customers come in, what their average spend is, and what the frequency is with which they come back. So it's really, if you look at any sales model, there's only those three things, customers, what they spend, and the frequency of of how often they're going to come back. So if you do a simple scorecard on that, you create some goals around it. If you increase any of those or all three of them, you're going to increase your taproom sales and you're going to boost your taproom profit. So I think for starting points, that's where I would start upsell and look at those three legs of the, of this, of sales growth. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say about that ask, you know, it's, it's harder for somebody to say no when you're right in front of them. Mm -hmm. So you're already there, as you mentioned, you know, Hey, why don't you look at this? Or, you know, you don't know if you don't ask and you don't get, if you don't ask, uh, well, quote I think the, a lot of times it's like, uh, you, you know, I've seen it where it's like, they, A, the customer might not have even known there was packaged beer. The place is so crowded or it's, right. I see the cooler over there. I can't get to it. Um, I'd, I'd like to grab some beer. How often do you go into a brewery and you don't, I mean, I can't even get my head around it. Why uh-huh. would you go? I want to, I want packaged beer to go. If I'm empty handed and they ask, yeah, I'm going to most yeah. likely buy some. Yeah. Right. Cool. What else? Um, you have your own podcast, Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. Um, and then, you know, we have your, the financial training program. Um, talk to me about your collaboration with Etho, with Ecos on that. And then, um, you know, we have a, a, a little special offer for, for our listeners here. Yeah, for sure. So the podcast is, you know, you know, very focused on craft breweries and finance. However, you know, there's a lot that goes into that where, you know, we got to speak with bankers so we understand how to structure our debt. What does that even look like? And mm-hmm. we're going to talk to other CPAs and financial financial professionals so that we can get tips on how to kind of simplify, you know, our financial reporting, you know, um, growing sales, distribution strategies, talking to people, uh, they're kind of penetrating the retail market. Like, how does this all work? Um, 
So a lot of, I think a lot of good stuff. I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot, certainly from my guests and hopefully, uh, you know, it's been, it's been well received. So people can find craft brewery financial training podcasts. It's on Apple and all the other outlets. So probably just Google it and, uh, and check yep. that out. Okay. Uh, re- recently I launched a, a new website. It's called Carrie's financial training. I don't really have an ego. My marketing guys said we should market you. Your name's Carrie. It's K A R Y. It's a little unusual. So it's Carrie's <laughs> financial training. Okay. So you can check that out as well. Certainly craft brewery financial training is my main hub. Carrie's financial training. I've got financial training programs for craft breweries. And I've recently done one in partnership with Ecos. And I found a lot of craft breweries are using Ecos. Um, And so what we had talked about, Ecos and I was, how do we kind of marry the two ideas together? One, here's your finance and accounting concepts. You know, here's how you can set up your chart of accounts. Here's how you can do your financial reporting. And then Ecos comes in and and says, okay, Carrie showed you how to do your chart of accounts, your financial reporting. Here's how you're gonna do that in Ecos. So you kind of get the, uh, you know, two sides of the coin. How do I do it from a concept standpoint? I also have some, you know, my spreadsheets and resources. And then how would I do that if I'm using Ecos? Um, so I think it really blends the two together nicely. There's eight, uh, about eight hours of total instruction. There's 40, you know, short videos, kind of step-by-step. Um, there's six modules. You know, we cover everything from introductory financial statements to, really digging in on, on cash flow, And there's a quiz at the end of each one. So you can kind of reinforce the material. So it's on demand, take it at your, at your own pace. Again, if there's things that come up, you get access to me. Um, question, you know, people ask questions all the time and I jump on there and just say, yep, can help people get unstuck or just clarify something. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, uh, those are some resources for folks to check out. Yeah. And if, and the course itself uh, the Ecos Brewery Financial Training Program. Uh, there's a discount code that if you want to share with your folks, um, it's basically use use uh, the the coupon code Beer Mighty 100, and you can save 100 bucks off the course price at checkout. Awesome. Yes, that's awesome. Um, this software, these tips, the financial information, does that translate to distilleries and other craft beverage manufacturers? Yeah, it's very similar. You know, I have the. If, if folks go to carriesfinancialtraining.com, you'll see that I have a brewery financial training course, and there's also one for beer wholesalers. I've got one for cideries that's coming, nice. um, and then dis- distillers will probably launch later this year. So the concepts are, you know, they're, they're more or less universal. Some of the strategies are more or less universal. And then when we get into the nuances of craft breweries versus, say, a cidery, you know, that's where you have to dig in on the details and that's where the course content does. So for craft breweries, you know, we're looking at, you know, certainly bill of materials, we're looking at hop contracts, you know, we're looking at inventory and so forth. Some of those are similar to cideries, but there's, there's some nuances and, and some differences. So we try to tailor it. So it's very specific and it's the language of you know, the folks that are taking the course. Yeah. I assume the language would be slightly different. And then the cost of raw materials are going to be a little different. Um, and as you mentioned, the hop contracts or just contracts with, with uh, the other folks in the supply chain um, will vary a little bit. Indeed. Okay. All right, cool. We'll post those links. We'll post the, uh, the Beer Mighty 100 at checkout. So thank you for that. That was awesome. Um, I'll give you a quick couple rapid fire if you don't, ma- if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Favorite beer style? You know, back in the day, it was IPAs and more IPAs and I over IPA'd. I don't know how it happened, but I did. <laughs> 
<laughs> I am a big fan of sort of the blonde ale. I like a lighter offering. You know, I like something that, you know, you can have several and you still get your, your wits about you. So I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go lager style or kind of a, a blonde ale. Low ABV in, in general at this point. Yeah. My, yeah. Four and a half is my sweet spot. Yeah. Definitely sub five. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Um, we're both readers. We both like these books. So is there any one book that really sticks out for, you know, a beverage manufacturer to pick up and it'll really kind of help them besides like, you know, more in like a financial way? Jeez, Kyle, I don't know if you've seen my new book called Beer Business Finance. <laughs> is that your book? <laughs> that is my book. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, really. Awesome. So I don't know if I, you teed me up for that very nicely. Thank no, you. No, I had no so, idea. Look at that. So folk, yeah, you can check it out. Uh, Beer Business Finance is the name. Um, it's, it's uh, available on Amazon. So you can go to Amazon, search beer business finance. It should pop right up for you. Awesome. Good thing we had a rapid fire session here or else <laughs> we would never know. Yeah, all right, cool. Um, and then your top three favorite musical bands in order. Oh man, I'm so lame on this. All right, top three, you know, Zeppelin, it's hard to beat them. Yep. Um, Beatles, I kind of cut my teeth on that. Yep. The third one, I'm going to go Chili Peppers. You know, I'm in. Uh, I I play I play a little music. You know, not well, but with great joy and great volume. And I love. There's kind of nothing better for energy than uh, than Chili Peppers. Seen them live a few times. I'm a huge Chili Peppers fan. I did. They've been in the news. They're selling their musical catalog for like 140 million. That or seems something. to be a thing. That seems to be a thing these days. Yeah. I'll give you my top three bands in order. Yeah. The Doors. The Beatles, the Black Keys. All right. Black Keys. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Big fan. So, all right, man. Well, Kerry, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your knowledge. Um, again, we'll, we'll get the uh, discount codes out to, to the folks. Um, anytime you want to pop back on, you have some new insight, something that, that the people need to know. Obviously, we're going we're gonna to bring you back on. Um, but, yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kyle. It's been great to, uh, to chat with you. Uh, very good. Cheers. Cheers. right that'll do it for today's episode appreciate you tuning in i hope you learned something i hope you really enjoyed it and if so tell a friend leave that five-star rating i mentioned earlier and comment on apple podcasts subscribe on any platform spread it around the world let's make it happen i appreciate y'all cheers and beer mighty things